oddly enough, my first memory of you is in black and white. Every time I think back to that day we first met, from the parking lot to the benches to everyone else there, it's all black and white. I'm not sure my, why my mind has done this with this memory, but maybe it's because our existence as queer people has never been black and white. It was a hot summer day and I could have only been about five or six at the time. We, we were all coming to one of those big family reunion cookouts that Nanny was famous for putting together with her brothers and sisters. We were a big family and most of us grew up within 30 to 45 minutes of one another. My uncle, the one I nicknamed uncle that we'll learn more about a little later, always says, your cousins are your first set of friends. And for sure he was right. I was holding my mother's hand as we got out of the car and began walking up to the family. And there you were. You and about six other people were sitting on a picnic table listening to a boombox in your own little world. I remember I couldn't stop staring at you all. I was a little boy at the time, dealing with my feelings of being different. I walked up on this table and saw a reflection of myself. Even at that very young age, I knew that your group was different too. Hey Jermaine, my mother said as we got close. Hey Aunt Kay, you looked at me and smiled. You were a teenage boy with a high-pitched voice that didn't match your outward appearance. I was just standing there, trying to process it all. Hmm. This is interesting. Um, the, the, the resonance, right? The resonance here between uh, Johnson and uh, their cousin, uh, Jermaine, just from the age of, of five or six is really, uh, to me, remarkable that, that uh, Johnson recalls such a deeply resonant experience from such an early age, right? So I think... Um, yeah, that's definitely a, a virtue of, of this memoir. <laughs> the memory is vivid. I can still smell the air from that day, sunny and mild spring-like weather. That walk to my grandmother started just like any other, with me holding hands with Raw while Razul sped ahead of us. We were at the corner of Lansdowne and Marshall, on the lawn of the corner house when we ran into a group of kids from the neighborhood that I didn't recognize. They had to be about my cousin's ages, around nine or 10 years old. The main kid was white. To this day, when we talk about it, we use his full name, but I won't say it here. The other kids were black and white, if my memory serves me correctly. My cousins knew who they were, I guess because they immediately began arguing. When I sit with this memory, there is no sound in the moment. I can see it. When I write about it now, my body can feel it. But as I close my eyes to think about it, the situation was instant chaos. I got extremely nervous. I just held on to Raw's hand even tighter. There were three of us and six of them, which was really two on six because what did a five-year-old know about fighting? The arguing kept getting more intense with my fear growing as the boys got closer in each other's faces. It's strange how near to home and safety one can be when some of the most traumatic things in life occur. I used to wonder what would have happened if we walked a different route that day or left school five minutes earlier. Would my life have turned out any different? Before I knew it, the argument broke into a fight, and I, the invisible boy, somehow became the biggest target. As my cousin squared up with three of the boys, two others grabbed me by my arms and held me on the ground. I screamed for help, as it was all I could do. The third kid swung his leg and kicked me in the face, and then he pulled his leg back and kicked again even harder. My teeth shattered like glass hitting the concrete. In that moment, I felt nothing. It was as, it was as if it were all a dream. Then I felt the pain. Whew, um, yo, like, yo, whew, um, 
Yeah, man. For one, that's visceral. You know, um, it, it really, that really hits. Um, yeah, I, I can't help but to, I guess, emphasize here that when folks are, you know, um, advocating or uh, trying to advance LBGTQ plus uh, rights and, and, and they talk about the safety um, and, and lacking it, I think that there's a tendency for people to think about adults, right? There's a tendency for people to think about, you know, um, some a, a gay person or, or a lesbian walks into a bar and having their life threatened um, in that context, or a transgender person who encounters, a, say, a maybe like a cishet, uh, you know, a, a trans woman encountering like a cishet man out at a bar, something like this, right? I mean, these are the the kinds of scenarios that we we give ourselves, we create ourselves in our head, but. I think what this scene like really does is, you know, put an exclamation point on, you know, just how far reaching the threat to safety is for LBGTQIA+, and indeed black LBGTQIA+. Um, George is, is, is five in this scene, you know, and um, having their teeth shattered by being kicked in the mouth um, in this, also comes in a chapter where they were talking about having these effeminate qualities uh, about about themselves that never really kind of um, uh, got this proper uptake at that time in, in their lives. So, um, yeah, I think that that really does put an exclamation point on that. So. Story time again. Then I'll get back to talking to you, my cuz. Jermaine now wants to go by Hope, Nanny stated while we were on the porch one day. I had to be about 14 when we were all having this discussion, prior to another one of Nanny's famous family cookouts. Hope, my mother asked. Yes, Jermaine has changed his name to Hope Loretta Curitan. The family exclaimed in unison, Loretta? It scared all the birds out of the trees. I remember someone saying, Lord, if Loretta was here, she would whoop Jermaine's ass for that one. But then they all started laughing. I asked who Loretta was. It got a little silent for a second. Then my mom explained Loretta was Aunt Margaret's daughter who died at a young age from an asthma attack. That's Jermaine's mother. Go in the house and get a picture album, Nanny told me. I think I have a picture of Loretta. I ran into her living room and grabbed a few of the albums before turning to the porch. I handed her the books and she began to go through them, smiling at all the old memories as she turned the pages. This is Loretta, she said finally. It was a picture of my aunt sitting on a car hood with my mother sitting next to her. They looked similar and were both grinning. That damn Loretta was my best friend. We used to be together all the time back then, my mom said. I found out that day that my mother was also Jermaine's godmother, meaning in the event of Loretta's death, my mother had been prepared to take responsibility for raising him. Godparenting is taken very seriously in the black community. That's facts. Many of us attach legal paperwork to the title. Although she didn't raise him, my mother talked to Jermaine regularly. She would get him gifts on his birthday and Christmas. They really loved each other. My mother took the responsibility seriously. I remember her saying, well, if Jermaine wants to go by Hope, then we will call her Hope. Nanny scoffed a bit at the idea. I ain't calling, no, I ain't calling him no damn Hope. That's Jermaine. <laughs> 
<laughs> man, so this is a it's an interesting scene. This is a pretty cool scene. So I, I, I appreciate. So in the actual text, um, uh, Johnson capitalizes her, right? The pronoun her, um, which I think emphasizes for readers uh, to the text that are actually like reading the book and uh, maybe not listening to the audio book. Um, sort of the emphasis of pronouns. And I, I mean, again, keeping in mind the audience, the young adults um, that they target, um, it's really, really dope that they position these youngsters to have these conversations early, especially at a time where pronouns and the respect for people's pronouns um, are becoming um, more of a foregrounded and more of a prominent issue uh, publicly. Pages Pod. It's like a tape.